Welcome back, Crime Freaks. This week is Carrie's week. Are y'all ready for this shit? <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be <clears throat> bad this week. Um, very graphic. So I uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. Well, this one is actually brought to us by my new favorite ghost. You gonna give him a shout out? Oh yeah. Okay. Just uh, I'm probably not gonna say his name. Okay. But uh just want you to know that uh, I fucking love you too, bitch. <laughs> anyway, um, this week we've got the Toolbox Killer. Oh, I know this case and I know how horrific it is. It is pretty freaking bad. Mm-hmm. The Toolbox Killer was the nickname the police gave to whoever was kidnapping, raping, torturing, and killing teenage girls in Southern California over a period of five months in 1979. However, it turned out to actually be two men by the names of Lawrence Sigmund Bittaker and Roy Lewis Norris. Gross. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence was born September 27th, 1940 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was actually put up for adoption at birth. Oh. And it never really says what happened, happened? the reason why he was put up for adoption or anything like that. Okay. Um, He was adopted by George Bittaker who worked at an air, or at aircraft factories, which forced the family to move around quite often. Mm-hmm. So he grew up in four different states before the family finally settled down in California. Now, I didn't really find any information on his mother. Okay. It really only spoke about, like, what his dad did. Okay. Um, like, there's a little bit of information on the mom, but nothing... Significant. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember her name being anywhere. <laughs> Well, after they had settled in California, uh, Lawrence was constantly in trouble with the law for, like, petty crimes as he was growing up. Um, He was highly intelligent. It was actually said that he had an IQ of 138, um, even though he dropped out of high school when he was 17. At the age of 19, he was actually arrested for auto theft, hit and run, and evading arrest. He was sent to California Youth Authority, and only days after he was released from California Youth Authority... Lawrence was arrested by the FBI in Louisiana for stealing a car and taking it across state lines. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds like a real winner here, doesn't it? Yeah. Already has a long track record. Mm-hmm. Um, he was sentenced to 18 months in prison in Oklahoma at a federal reformatory, but he was transferred to a medical center in Missouri for good behavior. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I don't really know how you would get put in a medical center <clears throat> for good behavior, but anyway. No, no. Um, after only serving six months of his 18-month sentence, he was released. In 1960, uh, he was arrested for a robbery in Los Angeles. In 61, he was sentenced to uh, 1 to 15 years in a state prison. And while he was there, he had a psych evaluation. And it stated that he was, um, <laughs> surprised, paranoid and borderline psychotic, who was also manipulative. Nice. Yeah. I know a few like that. (laughs) Maybe, possibly the ghost. (laughs) Anyway, uh, but just for fun, they released him on parole in 63. Like, why does that always happen? Like, they always get out way too early. Yeah, they're like, oh, this dude is super manipulative. And then they're like, oh, but he's so nice. Let's just let him out. We'll just let him go. Yeah, like just, hmm. Okay. No big deal. Uh, Not surprisingly, two months later, he was yet again arrested this time for violating his parole for suspicion of robbery. 
He continued to make his same amazing choices and would keep getting arrested for petty crime for about the next 15 years until he tried to shoplift a steak. It's like a, a steak like a you steak. eat? Yeah, like from a grocery store. Okay. Uh, did he, he put it down his pants? <laughs> it actually didn't say where he <laughs> put it. I think the one article that I looked at said that he like hid it in his coat or something. Okay. But he stabbed the grocery store clerk for confronting him in the parking lot. <gasps> Over a steak, dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was then that he was arrested and put in California men's colony for attempted murder. And this is where he would find his new BFF. Oh, no. So trying to shoplift a steak literally changed the lives of... How many victims? Mm, five. I don't know. Was it... A lot. I think it was five. Five or seven, something like that. And like, can you just imagine that? Like, no. these horrible choices that he made in his life led to the death of so many young women. Yeah. I don't feel like if he wouldn't have met him that this would, would have ever happened. Right. I don't think that, that all this could have went down without their cooperation together. Right. Okay. So, now let me just tell you about this second winner of a specimen we've got here. Okay. okay. Uh, Roy Lewis Norris. He was born in Greenlee, Colorado on February 5th of 1948. His father worked in a scrapyard, and his mother was a drug addict. She was a housewife. Like most housewives in those days, she was pretty addicted. Um, but hers ended up stemming into more mm. than just the her my nose right. the housework done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Roy was unfortunately consistently back and forth between his family home and his and some foster homes. Okay, because he had been so neglected by his parents. Um, he was neglected by even the families in the foster homes. Oh, that's terrible. He was starved and sexually abused by some of the foster families. So he did have a really tough upbringing. Yeah. Like, I feel bad for the child, uh, you know, them as a child, but not what they did as an adult. Absolutely. Because you, no matter how shitty of a childhood you have, yeah, you still have the choice to make better decisions as an adult. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can kill people. Exactly. While living with his birth birth, <laughs> I cannot even talk. While living with his birth parents when he was sixteen, he was actually at a relative's house who was a female in her twenties, and he was hitting on her, Ooh. talking very sexually suggestive, and she forced him to leave her house, and then told his father on him, who then threatened to beat his ass for it. No, wait a minute. He was related to her. He was related to her. Oh, okay. Not cool. Um, and I personally feel like maybe his dad should have been disaster. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> um, so Roy immediately stole his father's car and drove into the mountains where he tried to kill himself by injecting an air bubble into an artery in his arm. Wow. He missed. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Um, <laughs> I don't think that he paid enough attention, I guess, in biology class. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unsuccessful. Um <clears throat> So, obviously, he didn't succeed because soon after that, he was picked up by the police as a runaway. Uh, His parents, you know, they were just great people. (laughs) When the police returned him to his home, his mom informed him that uh, he and his sister were both just mistakes Mm. and that they were only staying married until the two of them turned 18 and then they were going to get divorced. Okay. Why not just do it now? (laughs) Probably neither one of them wanted to pay child support. Yeah, but back then, they didn't really do that i don't know like they didn't really have child support back then because this was was this the this was the 60s 60s okay huh yeah so i don't really know like why they would have just go ahead and split 
I mean, unless it was just, you know, to not look bad in the community. Right. You know, 18, they're but, considered adults. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that if you're cracked out all the time, you don't look that great in the community anyway. Anyways, yeah. Um, a year later, at age 17, Roy dropped out of high school and joined the Navy. Most of his service time was in San Diego. He did spend four months in Vietnam, but he never saw any combat. Okay. Um, so there goes that theory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In 1969, Roy tried forcibly or tried to forcibly enter a woman's car and was charged later for rape. In early 1970, he tried to force his way into a woman's home and she contacted the police and he was arrested for attempted rape. Mm. Uh, less than three months later, military... I can't even say military. (laughs) What? Less than three months later, military psychologists diagnosed Roy with severe psychoid personality, and he was discharged from the Navy for psychological problems. While still on bail from his last offense, he had been stalking a female student on the campus of San Diego University. Like, I just can't believe the balls of this dude. (laughs) No. Like, you're still... I'm sure he's on parole. Yeah, he's still on parole. From his last attempted, you know, you know, attempted rape, and he is already trying to get another one to do it again. Yeah, um, he <laughs> Roy finds this woman that he's been stalking, and he repeatedly strikes her on the back of the head with a rock until she falls to her knees. Then he proceeded. <laughs> I just can't believe that he did this. Uh, he proceeds to beat her on the head or beat her head. I'm sorry, against the sidewalk until she finally passes out, and then well- he just left her there. Were there any witnesses or? No. Okay. Um, Roy got charged with assault with a deadly weapon for um, for doing that. And then he was committed. So she lived. She did live. Okay, good. Um, he was committed to five years at a state hospital where they classified him as mentally disordered sex offender. Mm. So he's on a bad roll here. Yes, he is already on a bad path. <laughs> he's escalating. Definitely. Um, in 1975... Three months after Roy was deemed no longer a danger to others, <laughs> even though he is a mentally disordered sex offender, mind who, you. Who's in charge of uh, determining this? I wish it was me. Yeah. Like. Because <laughs> I can promise you they would not get out. <clears throat> but uh, three months after he was considered no longer a danger to himself or others by the hospital, he had been in while he was on probation and decided that he should... <laughs> He decided that he should offer a woman walking home from a restaurant a ride home on his motorcycle. She declined his offer, so he parked his motorcycle and used her own scarf to twist up around her neck and drag her into the bushes and told her he was going to rape her. She feared for her life, so the poor woman just stayed quiet while he raped her. Thankfully, the sis reported the rape to the police. They were unable to locate the rapist at first, but then the survivor actually saw Roy's motorcycle parked somewhere when she was out one day and wrote down the license plate. What a badass. And she reported that to the police immediately. And they actually found Roy, and he was arrested. This is the offense that landed him in California men's colony. Okay, let's see what happens. And this is where the two besties started off. (laughs) Mm, Not somebody I'd want to be a bestie with. No. Um, Which I don't think either, either of us would end up in. Well, <laughs> I mean, let me recant that. <clears throat> I mean, let's keep with that that same energy. Yeah. Okay, let's not talk about let's it. Let's flow with that. You're my friend. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lawrence and Roy slowly became friends over their years in California Men's Colony. They became they had began being friends when Lawrence started teaching Roy how to construct jewelry. Con- construct jewelry. Yes. In jail. Yeah. Okay. They became besties over. Um, Why were they allowed to have sharp things <laughs> like that? Who fucking knows? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Who do you know that's just in jail and they're like, oh, honey, can I have those beads? Share these beads with me. Baby, oh, will, you make, will you make this bracelet with me? <laughs> I mean, come on. Sounds like a great activity. I mean, the way they talk about the what like, these dudes like, mm-hmm. do in jail, they're like making all best friends. They're making jewelry. Yeah. Having I a mean, good it, old time. It kind of sounds like a break, dude. Yeah. From their lives that they were living. I mean, kind of for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I go that far, but uh, I mean a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I ain't gonna do it. <laughs> I, well, I hope not <laughs> today. <laughs> I'll be your first call. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so they became friends over, you know, making jewelry together. Okay. The two of them talked in depth about how they shared an interest in sexual violence, and Roy started. <laughs> Roy saying that his favorite part was seeing a scared young woman that that turn on is why he had such a lengthy sexual assault charge. Assault charge. <laughs> that turn on. <laughs> that turn on is why he had such a lengthy sexual assault charge. That's when Lawrence told Roy that if he were to rape a girl, he would kill her so there wouldn't be any trial or someone to go report it. Right then and there, they were like, did we just become best friends? Oh, no. I just quoted Step Brothers. I did. <laughs> and made plans to meet up when they were released. Can you imagine that conversation going down? Like, I don't even understand how two evil minds like that can come up with a, a plan such as they did. I really don't either. Like, I mean, can you just imagine just sitting there with somebody and being like, dude, I love to rape people. No. I mean, And him being like, dude, me too. That's just not a conversation that's appropriate. It's really not. Like, I just don't, I, I just can't wrap my mind around that. No. Um, on October 15th, 1978, Lawrence was released from California Men's Colony. He went back to Los Angeles to work as a machinist, which earned him about $1,000 a week. Which is more than I make now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and that was in 78. <clears throat> anyway, he ended up fairly popular with the people in his neighborhood. They all considered him generous and helpful. It was even said that he bought a large or bought large quantities of fast food and handed it out to homeless people downtown. Now he was also popular with the teenage population in his neighborhood. Of course he was. He always had beer and pot so that they would hang out. Mm. Now mind you, he also was living in a motel. Okay. Okay. Like this wasn't just like I don't have the means. I don't I have the money to. Yeah, I don't have the money or the means to find a home or an apartment. He literally wanted to live in this motel mm. because it was easy access to all of the like runaways and younger right prostitutes, probably like everything that he could like all of the younger crowd could just come and go as they pleased. Right. And nobody cared. Right. <laughs> and that just blows my mind. Because mm-hmm. he was making $1,000 a week. Yeah. And, you know, back then, motels were super, super cheap. Right. So that just 
completely blows my mind. Like, probably like 30 bucks a night or something. Yeah, probably not. Probably like 30 bucks a week. <laughs> well, maybe. Yeah. Um, January 15th, 1979, Roy was released from the colony. The colony. <laughs> Um, he actually moved in with his mother in Renondo Beach, California. Mm-hmm. Um, before he had even been out for a month, he had already raped another woman and abandoned her in the desert. Oh, my gosh. Uh, not long after that, he was able to find employment as an electrician. Okay. And finally, one day, he gets a letter from Lawrence. In February, they actually met up at a motel to talk about their plans. They decided they were going to kidnap and rape one girl from every age between the age of 13 and 19. That blows my that mind. That was their original plan. Like a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old. Yes. They wanted one from each age. That's disgusting. <laughs> like, I just can't. I don't know why they would. I mean, that's, I, I don't, I don't know where they formulated that, but okay. Like, I guess they wanted all teens. Yeah. Like, all the way up. I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay. The first thing they decided that they needed was a way to abduct these girls. So actually together, like money-wise together, Mm -hmm. they bought a 1977 GMC uh, Bandura that was silver, that was like a silver gray color. Uh And like, I'm talking your typical kidnapper van. Okay. Okay. Like... You know, you think a white kidnapper van, but this one was, like, silver gray. Silver gray. Okay. Yeah, like, with the slotty door on the side, no Mm. windows except for the, like, front two doors in the front. In the front. Okay. There was no windows. So nobody could see what was going on. Yes. Super creepy. And what did they call that? They they had a name for it. They nicknamed their van Murder Mac. Murder Mac. Mm Mm-hmm. Not a Big Mac. A Murder Mac. a Murder Mac. (laughs) Okay. Uh, They spent a few months actually doing trial runs. They would just cruise around and talk to girls occasionally, and they would just, like, snap pictures of girls that they thought were really pretty, like, around the Mm -hmm. beach areas. And um, in June of 1979, these besties, they they picked up about uh, somewhere around 20 Mm -hmm. female hitchhikers Mm -hmm. uh, just to learn how to develop new ways of luring them into the van without having to force them. So he let them go. He let them go. He just wanted to find ways to get them to voluntarily get into the van. Could you imagine, like, months or even years later that you were one of those girls that he picked up, they picked up? Yeah, and and then you find out. That could have been me. Oh, my God. I was one of those 20. That's terrifying. Like, what happened if I had been 21? Exactly. Like, how freaky would that be? Um, The two also... Decided to drive around and just look for some isolated places that they would be able to take these girls after they abducted them. Okay. Um, they found a... Um, so loud. <laughs> <laughs> it was loud. It was my nose ring. Popping. No, it was my nose <laughs> ring and my glasses. <laughs> I was like, God, her nose is broken. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so as they're driving around to find these isolated places, they find a fire access road mm-hmm. up in the mountains. Okay. And as they do, there is, there's a gate across it so that just regular people can't go up into it. Okay. So they bust the lock off and they replace it with one of their own locks oh. so that other people can't access it so just that them. they can lock it back when they go. Okay. Um, I hate to say that's smart, but... But I mean, if you're if you're gonna be like that, that is a smart move. I mean, I don't want to give him any credit or anything. Right. But. All right. On June 
24th of 1979, Lawrence and Roy decided it was time to find a victim. They had actually built a bed in the back of Murder Mac, Mm -hmm. their van, Mm -hmm. and space for tools and a cooler underneath of the bed. Cooler? For, like, refreshments? Yes, for refreshments. Okay. They would keep, um, like, water or not so much water, but beer and, um, like, pop. Okay. And ice. (laughs) (laughs) You're still looking at me, so I thought maybe you wanted more. I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they spent the day at Renando Beach drinking and smoking weed, and they spotted Lucinda Lynn Schaefer. She was coming from a meeting um, at at a Presbyterian church. Mm Mm-hmm. She refused their invites for a ride home from the men, and they offered, like, and they just, like, kept trying to offer her weed, and they kept trying to say, well, we've got beer in here. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, she was apparently just, like, a very nice church girl. Mm -hmm. And she was like, and I'm not saying that you're not a nice church girl if you smoke weed or you drink. (laughs) Right. But But she didn't want any part of it. Yeah, she was just like, no, thank you. I'm good. And um, so they actually had to snatch her. Okay. Because all of their usuals were not working. Their tactics weren't working. So they actually exchanged a few words (laughs) because she didn't want to take the ride with them. Right. So what they did was they actually drove up on ahead of her after she said no. Mm -hmm. And they parked the van. Okay. And they drove on up the road and they waited for her with the side door of the van open. Okay. Um, they actually exchanged a few words with her before grabbing her. Like, they were just like... You grab her. No, you grab her. You grab her. No, you grab her. And then, like, it was more of a, hey, are you sure you don't want to ride? Right. And she was like, no, I promise. I'm fine. Thank you. And she tried to walk away from them, and they just grab her and, you know, throw her into the van. That's terrifying. It really is. Lawrence actually got in the front, in the driver's seat, and mm-hmm. he turned the radio volume completely up as far as it would go. And Roy got in the back with her, and he tied her up and gagged her on the bed that they built in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence then drove them to the fire road where they had previously switched the lock. Uh, they both said that despite being scared and screaming when she was initially abducted, Lucinda seemed to calm and just go with things that she couldn't control. Oh. So at this point, she's apparently just... Well, it's going to happen. This is going to happen whether I want it to or not. Let's just get, get this it. done and over with. So they'll let me go. Right. So maybe if I cooperate, they'll hopefully let me go. Mm-hmm. Which is so sad. Yeah. The two men actually took turns raping her. And she actually asked if they were going to kill her. Mm-hmm. And they said they hadn't decided yet. Oh. And she actually told them. If you're going to kill me, all I ask for is just a minute to pray before you do. Oh, that is awful. And that <sighs> that just breaks my heart. Ugh. Like, it really breaks like my heart. She's such a good person. Yes, all she wanted was a chance to pray before they killed her. Ugh. Because at this point, she knows. She knew. And all she wanted was time to pray. I mean, they. she obviously saw their faces and probably she, knew. Right. So... I'm sorry, that just really, <laughs> that really gets to me. Um, Lawrence started to strangle her mm-hmm. without giving her a chance to pray. Oh, um, of course he didn't. Of course he didn't, because he, he didn't, didn't care. He didn't care anything about her, and he doesn't care if she had that chance. So what I'm hoping is that she was just praying the whole the time. Whole time. <laughs> because this just breaks my heart for her. Mm-hmm. Well, he strangled her, and she started actually convulsing. Mm-hmm. 
So, because he couldn't keep a hold of her mm-hmm. because of the convulsing, um, he used a wire clothes hanger Ugh. and wrapped it around her neck and used vice grips to tighten, like to twist the pieces mm-hmm. around each other mm-hmm. um, to tighten the hanger until she passed away. And then the two of them took her body to a canyon and just threw it over. Like trash. Just like trash. And Roy was like, well, what about her body, though? Mm-hmm. Won't somebody find it there? Yeah. And Lawrence was like, no, nah, man, the animals will eat it here. Mm-hmm. And they won't find her. Right. Her body wasn't ever found. Oh, my gosh. Like, I just, that was just the first victim. It's <laughs> mm. already, like, horrific, so. Uh, on June 8th, 1979, so just not long after. Not long after. Uh, the boys saw Andrea Joy Hall hitchhiking, and they were going to offer her a ride, but someone actually beat them to it. Mm. Uh, so they followed them until she was dropped off at Renando Beat. The besties tricked her... <laughs> By Roy hiding in the back of the van mm-hmm. and Lawrence letting her think that he was alone in the van mm-hmm. offered her, you know, offered her a ride when she was dropped off. Yeah. Thinking that hopefully, you know, whoever that was didn't take her to her, where she initially was really wanting to go. Wanting they just took her as far as they were going. Right. And that is what turned out to happen. Mm-hmm. So when he pulls over and she's like, oh, yeah, I didn't get to where I need to go yet. And he was like, oh, we'll hop on in. Mm. So her thinking he's just by himself. She hops on in. Right. And as they're driving down the street, he offers her a cold drink from the cooler that's in the back of the van. Oh, no. So when she climbs to the back, uh, Roy rushes her. Ugh. She actually fought him back pretty hard for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence was driving through crowded streets, so he ended up, they ended up uh, having to twist her arm up behind her back mm-hmm. and use tape to bind her hands and ankles. And use tape to form a gag, forcing her down in the bed um, of the back of the van. Murder Mac. Yes. Um, from that point, they drove her on up into the mountains past where they had taken their last victim. When they arrived at their new secluded location, uh, Lawrence ended up raping Andrea twice. Mm-hmm. And Roy raped her once. The second time Lawrence was raping her, Roy thought he saw some headlights approaching their location. So Lawrence grabbed Andrea and covered her mouth with his hand and dragged her into some uh, nearby brush Mm -hmm. so that Roy could take a drive and find the vehicle that he thought he had seen. Um, While Roy was gone, Lawrence forced Andrea to walk up a nearby hill completely naked and forced her to suck his um, he then ordered her to pose for Polaroid pictures. And I actually saw some of these pictures on a documentary that I watched. Um, and it's really incredibly sickening and sad. Yeah. Because she was doing her best to smile for him in these pictures. Oh. She was probably terrified not to. Oh, absolutely. There's no way she wasn't. Mm. Because these were, her eyes were terrified. Yeah, I've not looked up any of the photos. Her eyes did not match the smile. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was seriously the Mm -hmm. saddest thing. Um, They're monsters. They really are. Like, you could just tell that she was, she knew that she wasn't going to get out of this. Yeah. Um, Roy returned, but he was unable to find the other vehicle that he thought he saw. So, they forced her back into the van and drove to yet another location in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, Roy left Lawrence and Andrea there, and he left to go get alcohol at a nearby store. While he was gone, Lawrence took this opportunity to further mentally torture Andrea. He got his Polaroid camera out Mm -hmm. and told Andrea that he was going to kill her. And at that precise moment, he took a picture of her face. 
To capture the horror on her face. Yes. Because at this point, they hadn't, you know, it hadn't been established for sure Mm -hmm. that they were going to kill this girl. Yeah. But he literally says, I'm going to kill you and snaps a picture just to have the look of terror. That's evil. There's nothing worse. Like, how can you enjoy that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. And um, then he decided to ask her to give him reasons not to kill her. Oh. And then he took her picture. What a douche. While she was begging for her life. Knowing that he was going to kill her. Knowing the whole time that he's going to kill her. Mm -hmm. Um, These actually seem to be his favorite pictures. Um, He actually showed these to people. Oh, my. Like bragging. Like he wanted to get caught. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Like people that would come, like, that came to his motel room. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, said that they saw these pictures. Yeah. That they obviously didn't know that, you know, something had happened to this girl. Right. But he was like, hey, man, look at this picture. (laughs) I'd be like, uh, no, thank you. Bye. Yeah. Because he would tell everybody that, you know, he, you know, paid these girls for these pictures. You know? Yeah. He didn't kill them. Right. These were just actors Mm. or actresses, you Mm -hmm. know? Anyway. (laughs) Um, Lawrence, actually, (laughs) while uh, Roy was gone. Uh Uh-huh. He shoved an ice pick through Andrea's ear into her brain. Oh my god! After making her beg for her life, that makes my that makes my ear hurt. Um, he actually in the documentary said that he had seen it in a movie, mm-hmm. and he wanted to try it. Oh, um, well, he shoved the ice pick through her ear into her brain mm-hmm. so far that the handle broke off. Oh, like he couldn't pull it back out. But to his surprise, it did not kill her oh my god um he expected this to kill her so he had to go with his plan b so he strangled her with his hands until i mean you remember when peyton shoved a glow stick in my ear i do and i thought that you thought you died i thought that she had (laughs) punctured my brain Mm -hmm. with a glow stick Mm -hmm. can you imagine an ice ice pick no i can't imagine that because i was in the floor crying Uh uh-huh and it didn't kill her (sighs) so he strangled her um and then he uh threw her body over a cliff Mm. Did they find her body? Uh, September 3rd, 1979. The fellas saw two girls sitting on a bus, uh, sitting on a bus stop bench near Hermosa Beach. Jacqueline Leah Lamp was 13 years old. Oh, and 13. Ja- and Jackie Doris Gillum was 15 years old. That's so young. The two girls have been hitchhiking. Listen, okay, this is the very number one thing I need to tell you all about this. Mm-hmm. Don't fucking hitchhike. Don't hitchhike. (laughs) No. If you learn anything from this. I don't pick anybody up. Don't hitchhike. Like, that's the number one thing to learn from this entire podcast. Yeah. I mean, Uber scares me enough. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, Uh, I'm with you on that. (laughs) Well, the two girls had been hitchhiking on the Pacific Coast Highway before they stopped at the bench to rest. Lawrence and Roy decided it was a good idea to offer them a ride. The girls happily got inside the van, and Roy offered them some weed, which they happily accepted. Don't be 13 and smoke weed either. No, that's, I was going to say, 13 and 15, don't be smoking weed either. Okay. You wait till you're a legal age child. Soon into the ride, they noticed that Lawrence had veered off the the Pacific Coast Highway and was headed into the mountains. Mm -hmm. Neither of them was okay with this, and they both found it suspicious. Jacqueline actually tried to open the sliding door on the van, and Roy kicked her 
or I'm sorry, knocked her out with a bag full of BBs, which left her briefly unconscious. He was then able to overpower Jackie, and he was taping her up when Jacqueline came to. Uh-huh. Uh, she started opening the sliding door again, and Lawrence then quickly pulled over the van and got out to come to the side of the van where the door was. Mm-hmm. The worst part about this is that it was right beside of a tennis court full of people. Oh, my gosh. Like, people saw this happen. Okay, this and girl no was, try- anything was about trying it. to get out of the van. Okay? Oh. <laughs> they were all looking. He punched this little girl in the head, knocking her out again, and threw her back inside the van, slammed the door, and then just turned around and announced to everybody watching, she's on a bad LSD trip. I'm just trying to get her home. Oh, my gosh. And not one person questioned it. Nobody turned it in. Nobody turned it in. Nobody asked a question. Nobody was like, hold, 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 hold on. Why don't we take her to a hospital if she's on that bad of a trip? Exactly. Why don't we see what's going on if things are that bad? That I, I feel like that is the worst part of this end. <laughs> like, it, I mean, you see people there and you're trying to get out and you're almost to, to yeah. freedom. Can you and- imagine that? You see people. And You're they, like, I should be safe now. People see me. And they don't help you. And they're just like, meh. Mm. Let's go back to my tennis. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, Lawrence drove with them all up into the mountains where they held them captive for two days. Two days. Two days. Okay. That's... They kept them both bound and gagged in between bouts of repeated sexual assault and quite a bit of beatings. Lawrence and Roy took turns sleeping in the van alongside the two girls, while the others stayed outside the van to watch. They even had walkie-talkies to keep in contact just in case someone had t- someone was to like drive up on mm-hmm. them. Like at one point, uh, Lawrence walked Jacqueline onto a hill close to where they were parked and forced her to pose for pornographic pictures, and then forced her back into the van. Mm. Like, he was obsessed with these pictures. Yeah, obviously. Uh, the first time Lawrence raped Jackie, he made himself, like, a little audio tape recording of himself raping uh-huh. her and told her to pretend she was his cousin. And to Ew. F- yeah. And to, f- <laughs> to feel free to express her pain. Oh, my God. He went on to rape her two more times after that. Uh, Lawrence also tortured Jackie by stabbing her in the breast with an ice pick. Using a pair of vice grips to tear off one of her nipples. Oh, my God. Oh, my nipples hurt. Can you imagine that? No. Nope. I mean, I don't even have my nipples <laughs> pierced. And Yeah. No. I can't even. I can't even. The thoughts of getting my nipples pierced hurts me. No. <laughs> Awful. Like a pinch is one thing. But, <laughs> but someone cutting it off? No. Not, no, the thing is that he didn't cut it off. He gripped it oh God. with the vice grip, and he tore it off. I'm just now remembering like what a vice grip is. Yes, he like gripped a hold of it. Oh. He was he didn't get the entire nipple off. He only was able to pull off part of the nipple. Oh, that makes me nauseous. Yes. Um, Lawrence also asked Roy to take several pictures of him and Jackie together, uh, both with and without their clothing. Mm-hmm. After those two horrific days. For these girls, they were murdered. Roy said he suggested Jackie uh, be killed quickly because she had been largely accommodating during her captivity. But Lawrence wouldn't dream of it. He said, no, they only die once anyway. Oh, my God. Uh, they are sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I mean, at least Roy was just like, hey, let's do it quick. He wasn't so much, I guess, into the murder part of it as yeah. the torture. <clears throat> yeah, Bitteker was more of the... He was definitely into Got the, off on the torture. Yeah, he was like, let's torture him and kill him. Yeah. He didn't really care, I guess, if he raped him. He just wanted to kill. That yeah. was his... That was what got him off. Right. Lawrence uh, struck Jackie in the ear with an ice pick, and then he strangled her to death. Mm, that ice pick. Apparent favorite thing. After Jackie was murdered, Lawrence forced Jacqueline out of the van... As she exited the sliding door, he shouted to her, You wanted to stay a virgin? Now you can die a virgin. Which makes zero sense since they had both just spent two days raping her. Yeah. Like, like why would you say that to yeah. her? That yeah. doesn't even make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. But I guess because she wanted to stay a virgin. Right. Maybe it's because she fought him. Yeah. But you'd think that they would like that. Yeah. I'm sure they did. Um, God, this one's bad. <laughs> so... Roy hit Jacqueline on the head with a sledgehammer. Um, like, as soon as she exited the van door. Mm-hmm. Like, Lawrence shouted that at her about wanting to stay a virgin. She can die a virgin. Um, and Roy started hitting her with the sledgehammer. And Lawrence then started strangling her until he thought she was dead. Mm-hmm. And then the poor girl opened. Oh, still alive. She was still alive after being beaten the head with the sledgehammer and then being strangled <laughs> so since she opened her eyes roy then used the sledgehammer oh. to beat her to death oh. like apparently it was really bad yeah um so she, as he was beating her entire body with the sledgehammer mm-hmm. lawrence decided that he would con- start to choke her again uh-huh. so he started choking her again uh-huh. and she finally expired um and the two of them Gathered up their bodies and just threw them over an embankment together. Yeah. Their bodies were found together. They were found. Um, it was only <coughs> skeletal remains. Mm-hmm. And the ice pick was still found in her head. Oh, God. Um, there, October 31st, 1979. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence and Roy abducted their final victim. She was a 16-year-old girl, Shirley Lynette Ledford. She was standing outside of a gas station, hitchhiking home from a Halloween party in Sunland, Tijuana. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Okay. <laughs> I'm too Kentucky for this. <laughs> too, <laughs> <Kentucky>. <laughs> too cornbread. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunland, Tijuana, suburb of Los Angeles. Okay. Most likely, she accepted the ride from the men because she recognized Lawrence from the restaurant she worked at as a part-time waitress. Because she's fucking 16 years old. Yeah. So she felt, I guess, safe getting in. Getting in the car with an old dude that is nice to her at work. Right. Which most 16-year-olds would. Yeah. (laughs) Don't trust anybody. Exactly. Um, She refused the marijuana that Roy offered her. And as Lawrence drove down a secluded street, Roy brought out a knife and used it to threaten her so he could bind and gag her with tape. Mm Mm-hmm. Lawrence and Roy traded places with each other, and Roy did some random driving over and over for about an hour as Lawrence was in the back with Shirley. Uh, Lawrence removed the tape from her mouth and legs and started slapping her and mocking her. Then when she wasn't responding the way he wanted, he started beating her with his fists and telling her to say something over and over. Mm -hmm. Once Shirley started to scream, he told her to scream louder. He asked her every time he hit her, what was the matter with her? Didn't she like to scream? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the others were bad, but this one's like, 
horrific. Yeah, he's like really, it's like not just physical, it's like mental. Mental, yeah. Like he's really trying to get in her head, like, what's wrong with you? Don't you like a screen? Yeah. And he's just like punching her. Yeah. <laughs> she begged Lawrence not to touch her in response, but he only wanted to hear her scream. So he told her to scream as loud as she wished. And when she wasn't screaming loud enough for him, he started using a hammer to hit her with between punches to her breast with his fist. So can you imagine that just getting punched as hard as a grown man can right in your boobs? No. Especially as a 16 year old. You know how sore those things are? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, because, you know, hormonal. Hormonal. Growing. Sore. Yeah. No, thank you. No. He was also torturing her with pliers. While he raped her both vaginally and anally. Oh, I can see why they call it the toolbox killer. Absolutely. Because this poor girl was raped with these pliers. Yeah. Not, I mean, not only by the men, but the actual the tool, tool as well. Uh, Lawrence also made an audio tape recording of this process. Um, Shirley can be heard begging and pleading for the abuse to stop and saying things such as, oh, no, no along with sounds of Lawrence taking out and replacing tools in the toolbox. Mm. Um, After about an hour or so, Roy and Lawrence switched places Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. So now Lawrence is driving again, and Roy is in the back with Shirley. Uh, Roy also decided to switch on the audio tape recorder for his time with Shirley, Mm -hmm. which is new for him. Okay. So he is also very much escalating. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, this is a brand new thing for him. Um, Roy told Shirley, go ahead and scream or I'll make you scream. And she very boldly told him, I'll scream if you stop hitting me. So she let out a few high-pitched screams as Roy encouraged her until until he told her to stop. This is when he reaches for his sledgehammer. She saw what he was uh, getting and screamed, oh, no. Roy hit her once in the left elbow, and she begged him not to hit her again after telling him she had actually broken that elbow once before. The only response from him was for him to hit her again 25 consecutive times on the same elbow while she screamed no over Ugh. and over. And then he would ask her, what What are you sniveling about? Oh As she God. was screaming and crying in pain. Yeah, if that was happening to him, he'd be screaming and crying too. Listen, he'd probably get a poke on the finger and, and cry worse than that. Yeah. Like, I just, oh, I just can't understand. This is probably the worst, like, pair, like, a duo pair of killers yes. that that I have researched anyways. Well, they are so the far. worst so far that I've researched. Mm-hmm. If I find another one, then I'll definitely, yeah. I'll definitely do it on here. <laughs> um, after about two hours of this torture, they two decided that it was time to kill her. Uh, Lawrence strangled Shirley with a wire clothes hanger using pliers to tighten it around her neck. Um, on some, I honestly do not remember where I saw this. I'm not sure if it was in Mm -hmm. the documentary that I watched or if it was in one of the things that I read, Mm -hmm. but it said that it was tightened so much that it was almost like a, um, like a silver dollar. Oh, like it was like the. When they took the coat hanger off, like uh-huh. the clothes hanger, uh-huh. that it was tightened up so tight that it was almost the size of a silver dollar. Oh, gosh. Um, she actually didn't react much to the strangulation, um, but she did die with her eyes open. Oh. 
The two decided to throw her body into a random yard for somebody to find. Yeah. Because they actually didn't go into the mountains for this. They, they drove around the entire time the entire. that this was happening. Mm-hmm. So, like, they could have been driving right by somebody's house and nobody would have even known. Yeah. Because they just drove with the radio up the whole time. Yeah. So that nobody could hear the scream. But, like, my radio's not even that good. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you can hear my kids screaming in the car sometimes. Yeah. Um. <sighs> Sorry. (laughs) Um, Shirley's body was actually found by a jogger the following morning. Uh, During her autopsy, they found that not only had she been killed by strangulation, sexually assaulted, uh, she had been, she had extensive blunt force trauma to the face, breast, left elbow, and head. Uh, She was torn in her vaginal area and rectum from the pliers that had been used to rape her with. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, She also had a puncture wound on her left hand and one finger on her right hand had been cut. So is this the first body that the police have found? So far, this is the only body that they've found. So they don't know nothing else has went Mm on. Okay. Not yet. Um, In November of 1979, Roy met up with another friend that he had uh, been incarcerated with at the uh, California men's colony. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, he had to go on and... uh, brag all about and in great detail <laughs> of the rape and murders of these five girls and even some of the things that they had done uh, waiting for the right time. What an idiot. Right? I mean, that's good. That I mean, I'm glad telling, that he did. But, but what an idiot. Um, his friend, this friend was Joseph Jackson, and he was not willing to be any part of this. <laughs> like, he didn't want any part of it. As most normal people yeah. would not be. Like, he had been incarcerated. Like, he had obviously done some things. But not that. But he heard this and he was like, what? <laughs> but he was real cool about it. He was just like, oh, really? Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. Didn't want to raise, like, and suspicion. He, right. And he immediately contacted his lawyer. Yeah. And he was like, dude. You have to tell. <laughs> What do I do with this information? <laughs> yeah. And the lawyer was like, uh, you call the police right now. Yeah. And he was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he called the police in his town and had them contact the police in the town that like all of this stuff was going on. Yeah. Going on. Yeah. And that's how this ball got rolling. Okay. Because this idiot snitched on himself. Yeah. Which is great. It's great because <laughs> could you imagine how many more murders? Oh my god, no! Because it was getting worse. They might have n- never been caught, right? Because it was getting so much worse, and like they were changing their emos. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> and plus it being two different people. Yeah, like so many things could be so much different for each murder that they wouldn't connect it. But yeah, it would be completely unconnected. Yeah, there was a uh, detective, Paul uh, Bonham. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. <laughs> was assigned to investigate the claims, and he noted that Joseph's statements of Roy's confession did match report. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Redo. (laughs) A detective, Paul Paul Bynum, was assigned to investigate the claims and noticed that Joseph's statements of Roy's confessions did match reports of quite a few missing teenage girls over the past five months. Mm-hmm. The biggest turn for them was the case involving a woman who was sprayed in the face by mace and dragged into a GMC van and raped by two men before being released. Okay. This woman, Robert, Robin Robeck, <laughs> mm-hmm. had reported this to police. Okay. And guess who bragged about doing just that very thing to his friend, Joseph? Mm-hmm. Roy Norris. Of course. <laughs> 
Roy dumbass. Yeah. Detective Bonham sent an investigator to visit Robin at her home in Oregon to show her some mug shots. As soon as she saw two of the photos, she positively identified them as the two men who had snatched her up and raped her. Mm-hmm. The photos were Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris. Mm-hmm. Surprise! Yeah. Surprise! Uh, the police started both of them under surveillance. Roy had left a bag open and in full view in his passenger seat full of marijuana mm-hmm. and was arrested for a parole violation. Oh, yeah. Because you can't of have... Of course. Yeah. Can't have that on parole. Yeah. And later that same day, after Lawrence heard about Roy being arrested, obviously, and after he had time to clean out Murder Mac, mm-hmm. and then, you know, then Lawrence had gotten arrested for the rape of Robin Robeck. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Robin was unable to pick out her rapist in a lineup. Oh, no. But since both of these, air quote, men... Uh-huh. <laughs> were in violation of their parole because of them being in possession of drugs because when um, Lawrence was arrested for uh-huh. this rape, there were there was drug and drugs there were drugs. <laughs> there were drugs and drug paraphernalia in his motel room. Oh, okay. So that was a parole violation there. Right. Um so they were both being held in jail for these parole violations. Mm-hmm. Uh fortunately, <laughs> even though um Lawrence had cleaned out Murder Mac he had forgotten to take the audio recording tape out of the tape recorder. Oh my God, what an idiot. So he had taken the all van. of the other recordings out. Oh, it was just in the, the like machine. All of his other like little um, cassette tapes. A-tracks? No, no, they no these were cassette tapes. <laughs> I mean, I remember cassette tapes. It's been a long time. No, sorry. I mean, because I was just trying to think of the word cassette. I'm just going to say tape because we always just call them tapes. Yeah. But I feel like for all the tiny children that might they possibly have be no listening. no idea what we're talking about. And by tiny children, I mean people that are like 25. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, cassette tape is what I'm trying cassette to say. Cassette tapes, yes. Um, he had taken all the other cassette tapes out, like all the other evidence. Mm-hmm. And obviously he didn't think the tools would be evidence because they were tools, you know. They were tools, yeah. Um, so they were still in there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all the audio tapes and things like that, he had taken out and in the um the documentary i watched it said that he had taken them out and buried them oh, okay but he never really specified where so they never found them they didn't find the other audio tapes right but this dumbass did not <laughs> pop up in the the thing in the tape recorder and take out the cassette tape that was still in the recorder and he left the recorder in the van okay so thankfully yeah thankfully yes because without that they, they really wouldn't have known. a whole lot yeah. Um, so he had gotten rid of all the other tapes by the time the police searched his home and his van. Between the two of their homes, they found pictures of missing girls and about 500 other women and girls that had their pictures taken without their knowledge mm-hmm. while driving around in their murder mac. And some of the pictures were actually taken at Burbank High School. Ooh. Like they had just parked outside of Burbank High School and were taking pictures of high school students. Oh, like high school girls. Yeah. <laughs> Who didn't notice the big gross man? Yeah. <laughs> um, and inside Murder Mac, the police found a sledgehammer, a book telling how to locate police radio frequencies, a jar of Vaseline, Ugh. a plastic bag filled with weights, two necklaces, a 
and a tape recording. Mm-hmm. And that tape recording would damn them both. Mm-hmm. Um, also, inside Roy's home, there was a bracelet that he had taken from Shirley as a souvenir. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I bet Lawrence didn't know he took that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Roy actually denied in the beginning that he had anything to do with the murders Mm -hmm. and he blamed it all on Lawrence. Yeah. And then he decided that he would make a deal that would later take the death penalty off the table for him and only give him life in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, then he actually admitted to everything. Like, even though he tried to make it seem like Lawrence was more really into it than he was. Right. Like, according to Roy, Lawrence got more and more brutal with every victim. He even told them that their last victim begged to be killed just to end the horrific pain she was in. Mm-hmm. And um, He ripped her nipple halfway off. No, that was the one before. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. But still. But I would believe that mm-hmm. with the torture that was going on. Yeah. I just don't. <laughs> um, at the trial, Roy was actually the star witness, and he in detail explained the abduction and murders. The audio tape was actually played in the courtroom as evidence. Both the jury... And the audience in the courtroom were crying or burying their head in their hands. There were even some people who couldn't handle it and had to, and it made them physically sick and they rushed out of the courtroom. Uh, Lawrence Bittaker was undisturbed during the entire playing of the recording. He oh, he was, was enjoying that. He was fully focused on the transcript of the tape and he actually just smiled. He was probably getting off in his pants. Um, there's actually video of the trial. Mm-hmm. There's no audio on it. It's while the tape is playing, Mm -hmm. and you can see his face Mm -hmm. staring and smiling. At the transcript. At the transcript of everything that's being said, following right along, almost mouthing words. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. How sick. And you can see, like, in his face, like, how much he's enjoying this. Yeah. And then there's just, like, people just jetting out of there, ready to throw up. Yeah. Because it's so, so sick. Um, They actually use this this tape recording mm-hmm. for the FBI to help desensitize um, a lot of their, uh, their yeah, agents agents. to keep them um, from, you know, to keep everything from getting to them so much. Right. I don't know that. <laughs> that's not a tape I want to listen to. Um, I don't know that that's something that anybody should really want to ever hear. No. Like I've this- read the transcript and it's awful, but I couldn't imagine actually hearing it. Hearing it would be probably the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. Well, the worst thing ever would be there. Experience it. <laughs> right. But I'm one of those people that if I hear it or if I read it in my mind. You can hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. On February 17th, 1981, the jury found Lawrence Bittaker was, um, or they found Lawrence Bittaker guilty of five counts of first degree murder. One charge of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, five charges of kidnapping, nine charges of rape, two charges of forcible oral copulation, one charge of sodomy, and three charges of unlawful possession of a firearm. Lawrence was sentenced to death. The judge, Thomas Fredericks, imposed an an alternative sentence in Mm -hmm. the event the death penalty was ever reverted to life in prison. Of 199 years to take effect immediately. So in case there was ever, um, like, where the the state took um, the death penalty penalty completely off of the Mm -hmm. table, 
That is what his alternative would be. Yeah. Um, Roy Norris got life in prison with the possibility of parole in 2010. He never made it out on parole. Good. Um, Lawrence Bittaker died December 13th, 2019, while still awaiting execution. Oh, so he wasn't even... He was not even executed. Can you please... They didn't even get justice. Please explain to me how he got to live out his natural life all the way to 2019... Not that long ago. On friggin' death row? A lot of... That happens a lot, actually. It does, and it absolutely... And he, like, completely exhausted all of his appeals. Yeah. Like, there was... What were they waiting for? I have no idea. Like, there's so many other people that have been in jail for so long on the tiniest charges. Mm Mm-hmm. And that weren't considered mentally unfit. (laughs) Yeah. Yet he's just like, meh, I'm good. Yeah. I just don't understand. Like, they, they sit oh. on death row for like Forever. 12, 15 years, and then, then they just die. Roy Norris died February 24th, 2020, in a prison hospital. Okay. But he never was on death row. So he was supposed to live out his natural life. Right. But still, my God, he made it to 2020. Yeah, a lot longer than than their victims. Uh, way longer. Yeah, that's. I'm sorry, horrific. but that's, I feel like that's a lot longer than they deserved. Yeah, they. I mean, they were absolute brutal monsters. Yeah, and I just don't understand how that they got to live out their life. Yeah, like I get it that they were in prison. I get it that they were serving time, but, and I don't romanticize that like i don't really think that prison's a good thing i don't think that they deserved even as good as prison for what they did (laughs) yeah like five children like i'm not even going to just say young women they were children yeah five children are dead because they're disgusting because they're just fucking disgusting yeah (gasps) but anyway i hope you enjoyed my episode (laughs) yeah that one that was a that was a rough one that was uh I that do was have a lot. to. It was a lot. I did enjoy the research. Yeah, which is, I guess, a weird thing to say about such a topic. But I mean, you all get me because I you're enjoy listening to this. the psychology of it. Yes, like what makes them in their mind think that it's okay or not even okay, but what makes them actually act upon it <laughs> as we take a drink of our wine <laughs> straight out the bottle, baby. My cup tastes weird. Um. <laughs> Tastes like dish up. It does. <laughs> um, well, if you are still here and still listening, God bless you. Um, it was a rough one. Um, so I, it'll be my turn next week. Um, so, yeah, check us out next week. And we thank you for listening. If you want to send us an email, um, you can email us at crimefreakspodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Instagram, crimefreakspodcast. Um yeah, just give us a suggestion if there's somebody you want to hear about. Yeah, case suggestion. Um, just don't forget to not ghost us when you're done. Yeah, don't ghost us. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I made us a Twitter, but I've not done any tweets, so I might put you in charge of the Twitter. I've never used Twitter. Do you know how excited <laughs> I am for that? I'll give you the password. Oh, my God. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.